morning. One thing I like to say to supporting churches is thank you for holding the rope. Um, Hudson Taylor, uh, one of the one of the more famous uh, modern missionaries to China, used to say that to his supporters because he would say that yes, missionaries are the ones who go down into the cave of unreached people groups and do the work of evangelism and church planning, but you are the ones who are holding the rope. And although we are suffering in order to get into the cave, if you are suffering in order to hold the rope, and if you let go of the rope, the missionaries are gone. So thank you for that. Really thank you for your um, support and care for us. Uh, we do very, feel very connected by all the encouragement from our um, missionary liaisons and the community groups that send us care packages. We really are thankful for that. Um, I was asked by uh, Pastor Andrew to share both from the Word, but also a little bit about my ministry in Japan. But um, I'm going to share a little bit, very, very little, uh, very, very little. But if you are interested to get on our newsletter to learn more about us, just um, Google uh, BocaNegrasInJapan.com, BocaNegrasInJapan.com, and feel free to sign up for our newsletter to get more information. But more importantly, let us turn to the reading of God's Word. We'll be looking at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 18. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 18. This is the reading of God's Word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seated with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychius will tell you all about my activities, and he is, my, uh, he is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how you, we are and that we may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell, tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and, my, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
I thank you, Lord, for Christ Central and their labors and their suffering and their toiling for the Great Commission to be advanced not only here in Southern California, but to the ends of the earth. We thank you for this text and for Paul and his passion for, great, for the Great Commission. May you protect my mouth that I would preach your message and not mine and protect our ears and our hearts that, that would, we would hear your message and not the message that we want to hear. We thank you, Lord, for this time where you have called us to hear your gospel and your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One late night, Nina, uh, my, t- my two, almost two-year-old, uh, wasn't sleeping, so um, I turned on the TV, and that night there was a late-night talk show. Uh, two Japanese comedians that um, I really like um, kind of field questions from the audience, obscure questions. And that night's question was this. What would motivate someone to do mountain climbing? Um, not the safe kind, but like the, you know, climbing Mount Everest or climbing K2. The, the type of mountain climbing that would require many, hour, uh, require many hours, days, and years of training. The type that would require a significant amount of money that would um, um, force you to get sponsors for that. Uh, the type of mountain climbing that would force you to endure temperatures that would literally freeze you to death. Uh, terrain that would crush you by ice boulders and air that would suffocate you with the lack of oxygen. The type of mountain climbing where you literally hold your life um, in, in a balance. What would motivate you to do this kind of mountain climbing? That was the question. And these two comedians would kind of take this question and for like 30 minutes, I forget how long it was, would kind of humorously philosophize on this topic. But the essence of their conclusion was this. Well, well, if you're a sane and normal person, if you just do the math, there's no reason why you should you would do mountain climbing. There's nobody who would do that. But we respect those mountain climbers. We're really thankful that they can show us the kind of the extent, the, the, the power of humanity. And we're very thankful for their work. But you know, at the end of the day, I would never climb Mount Everest. Not even in my lifetime or the next life. That was kind of like their humorous conclusion to their, their, to their topic. And as Nina was finally sleeping and I had to get back to, you know, doing my sermon prep on this, on this sermon... Um, I was like, wow, that's a wonderful sermon illustration for missions, for the work of missionaries. Because if, you, if you're really honest, no, there's no real reason why you, should, you would want to do missions. There's just so much to sacrifice for. Um, you know, just think about it. This is what doing missions is like in an unreached people group like Japan, 120 million, the second largest unreached people group. Um, imagine first... Um, sacrificing for uh, the gospel. And the gospel is seen as a really great story, just like Disney, you know? Great storyline, lots of action-packed, everything. I I, I go to see it in a movie, but I'd never believe it. Imagine sacrificing for that kind of gospel. Imagine the amount of determination and just brute effort needed to master a culture in a language that you've never been a part of. Imagine the many hours, uh, many hours of laborious and heartfelt prayer needed to meet people. And then imagine the futility when you meet hundreds and thousands of people and those people never actually show up to your church. 
It's kind of like, I usually call it like, it's like farming in the desert. You just pour water, seed, and then the next day you see it dead. It's like, all right, try again. And you do that for many, many years. Imagine the, the sense of futility. Uh, imagine the amount of midnight oil being burnt um, and the family time sacrificed in order to find the right phrase to portray the gospel. And I was with the Sunday school teachers and they, they knew what I'm talking. You find the right phrase and then you actually use it. And people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, that, that, that sense of like, oh my gosh, you know. Imagine that, feeling that every week. And then this is my favorite statistic. I, I studied economics back in college, and they have these statistics of ministry dollars per baptism. And as a missionary, as a missionary, as a missionary of Japan, that's the that's the statistic you don't want to share with your supporters. But I'm going to share it anyway. Um, the most expensive place to do ministry is Japan, and it takes 2.7 million dollars per baptism. 2.7 million dollars. That's like a house and a house and another house, right? That's how much it costs to do ministry. And not only that, it takes more money, effort, time, blood, sweat, and tears to nurture that faith for the next 20 years. It's usually said that if, you, if there is a, person, a Japanese who becomes Christian in Japan, uh, in the U.S., and they come to, the, to, to Japan, 80% of them stop going to church in the next, in the, in, in the next two years. So with all of that, who wants to become a missionary? And I'm sure nobody wants to go become a missionary, right? And many people might think, I thought this way. Um, I still think this way. I still think that I'm, I don't know why I'm a missionary. But people think, well, I understand, in theory, the importance of missions. I understand the urgency and the need for salvation. I, I can quote you, Ma- you know, Matthew 28, right? But, and I have much respect for missionaries, but, you know, I'd just rather be just a normal Christian, you know, um, where I don't have to do spiritual mountain climbing like the pastors and the and the uh, and the missionaries. I just I just never do that. I'll 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 support them. I'll 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 cheer them on, but I sh- I'd never do that. But one thing that we must realize is is that if you are a Christian and if you are baptized into Christ, no one gets a free pass free pass from suffering especially suffering for the Great Commission. One missionary uh, told me this. um, If you're not willing to go, I'm not telling you to go, but if you're not willing to go, you're not qualified to stay. If you're not willing to go, you're not qualified to stay. And Jesus said this himself, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister, and yes, even his own life, he cannot, he cannot, be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If you're like, if you're anything like me, I'm a very, very sensitive question. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a, I can't be my, I can't be Jesus' disciple. I've failed on all accounts. But the truth of the matter is, a passion for missions and evangelism does, isn't born out of me proof texting or just guilt tripping you into it. No, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen like that, thankfully. Actually, Paul, when he encourages the Colossian church to, do the, to be part of the Great Commission, he takes, a very, he takes the opposite approach. And it, you could basically um, capture it in the phrase, remember my chains. 
Remember my chains. This is the very last thing he says to the Colossian church in his letter to, the, to, to this church. And using the mountain climbing analogy, I think this is what he's saying. The reason why I am risking my life and bearing innumerable sufferings by climbing this kind of Mount Everest-like peak of missions, it is because I do it for you. I do it for you. I do it for you because Jesus Christ did it for me. And because I'm so thankful for that, that's why I'm here. And I urge you, just as I suffered to give you the gospel, just as Jesus suffered to give me the gospel, I urge you, suffer, pray, and live for the Great Commission. Remember my chains. Remember how I suffered to get you the gospel. If you got that already, that's like the sermon already, you can go home and, and be part of missions already, you know? But I, if you're, I'm, I'm sure most of you are like me. You just need time to kind of like marinate in it. So I'm going to give you two commandments from this passage, two commandments that summarize this phrase, remember my chains. The first commandment is pray and live for kingdom advancement. This point is, for those who are looking at the clock, this point is a little bit longer. So if you're like, Mark, this is like, it's already... in, and he's still on the first point. Rest assured, it's all part of the plan. But anyway, pray and live for kingdom advancement. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. The first commandment involves two things. First, prayer. In verses 2, it it calls us to to continue to be steadfastly in prayer. And I think any Christian knows that he should be praying. He should be praying to God and have a personal relationship with Christ. But before reading this text, I did not realize that in this text, he is calling us to, be continue, to continue to be steadfastly in prayer for the Great Commission. If you look at verses 3 and 4, he is saying that the reason why he wants us to be conti- continually in prayer is, one, so that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, and two, so that the di- mystery of Christ could be proclaimed Clearly, if this isn't a clear commandment for all Christians, not just missionaries, not just church staff, not just elders to pray for kingdom advancement, I, just, I don't know what is. How have we personally, as a family, as a church, been continuing to be steadfast in prayer for the Great Commission? Shibata-san and Soneda-san was part of my kind of uh, Bible study, and they were always hungry to learn about the word. And we were going through the Westminster Confession of Faith and we were, I, I thought I did a really good job of sharing the high theology of, Trinitari- of the Trinity and we were going through all kinds of stuff and I was like, I, I did a pretty good job. And you know what they did after, for their application time? They applied high theology and prayed for the salvation of their non-Christian husbands. Too often we think that The Westminster Confession of Faith and Theology and Discipleship is so far from the Great Commission, but let me remind you that the Westminster Confession of Faith and all of of the Reformed theology that we love is written for the Great Commission. The second part of this first commandment is to live for the Great Commission. To live for the Great Commission. In verses 5, Paul says, to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. This, this is those who are not part of the church. And in Paul's mind, the fundamental first step to evangelism is not our four points that we want to share in our tract or our words, but actually 
our Christian walk. And actually, you might think, oh, well, well, evangelism is about the word, right? It's like, yes, absolutely. But look at verses 6. You may think that this is the word part of evangelism, but notice that our word evangelism is in response to their question regarding our actions as Christians. Furthermore, it is also about how you deliver the word. It says, to speak always graciously and seasoned with salt. Do you see that the seeds of evangelism is actually our walks as disciples of Christ and as citizens of heaven? And of course, you know, our, our, our walks are very important, but that, uh, the word is very important, but we need to walk according to the word we preach. Umeda-san, who is a non-Christian, a 70-something-year-old unbeliever, he always comes to that Bible study I was talking about. He's been around the church for 10 years and always struggling to figure out whether he's a Christian or not. But he took me aside and told me this. He said, Mark, I want to tell you one thing about Christians after being around you for a long time. Um, it's not about what you say to me, or a non-believer. It's not what you do in front of me. It's actually what about what you communicate to me. You might, commu- you might say the four points of the gospel, but when, you, when I kind of show some hesitancy or ask you a hard question that you don't know the answer to, and you turn around and go to the next person, it communicates to me is you don't care about me, and all you care about is getting those four points to me, right? And another thing is you might do the Christian life, go to church and do acts of mercy, and, and live this beautiful Christian life that us non-believers kind of don't, you know, don't just like are, are, are enamored by. But, what it commun- and, but you don't sh- if you don't share the gospel to me, it communicates to me that you want to live your Christian life, but you don't want me to be part of it. Too often, it's very easy to do word-only evangelism or deed-only evangelism because it doesn't take that much courage. But what Paul and God calls us to do is to do word evangelism propelled by our deeds. He calls us to do the most difficult kind of evangelism. If you're anything like me, as I shared before, I'm a very sensitive Christian. I'm like, oh, I'm a complete failure. I get an F on all categories of this. But what's really important is that we shouldn't be driven to do those things because of our failures or because, of, because I guilt-tripped you into it. But you should be doing it, as it says in verses 2, because we're thankful and we're very watchful for the coming of Christ. This text is the end of the letter to the Colossians. This is kind of the application part. So to cut out the, 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 the three points of the, the sermon and just do the application part is not a good idea. So what, what I'm going to do today is just to give you a very thumb, a, a short thumbnail sketch of the two things that you should be thankful for and the one thing that you should be watchful for. And those things are the gasoline, the engine that propels you to, do the, to be part of the Great Commission. The first thing that you should be thankful for, and I think it's very ba- this is basic stuff, but the basics are the things that we usually forget. But the first thing that you should be thankful for is this. Do you know you have the mystery of Christ? Every religion tells you, you need to study, you need to work, you need to go up that heavenly ladder to heaven to attain the mystery of God, attain the divine nirvana that, you, that, that, that we promise you. And of course, we're going to give you the instructions manual, we're going to do all kinds of things, but at the end of the day, you climb up that ladder. 
But do you know the Christian religion, Christ himself, gives you the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is Christ himself. And Christ himself is is in whom are hidden all the treasures of heaven and knowledge, in whom all the fullness of God dwells, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins, salvation from the kingdom of God, darkness, and citizenship in the, kingdoms, in the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Whether you feel it right now, whether you are on fire or God or not, you have the mystery of Christ. Are you thankful? Secondly, Paul wants us to be thankful for the fact that do you, you, you must be thankful. You must remember that this mystery of Christ has changed you. You might think, well, he hasn't changed me in the ways that I haven't. He hasn't changed me in the th- ways that I want to be changed. But, well, we can't get over the fact that he has changed you in some sort of way. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 to 6, Paul reminds the Colossians this way, The gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the gospel of the grace of God in truth. Friends, look at your life. Look at have you changed. Look at how you have borne fruit. That couldn't happen without the Holy Spirit. We are dead in our sin. We are corrupt, defiled, broken spiritual zombies. But because of the Holy Spirit, we have been given a new heart, a new life that lives according to the word. But the last thing he says is this. Are you watchful? Are you watchful for the day of the coming of Christ? The day of the coming of Christ, many people, many Christians believe, that is basically it's judgment day, It's for, at least for Christians. That it's the final test where he tests you on all things and he figures out whether you're a Christian or not. It's like, no, no, no. You've got an, a, you have a mistaken view of the coming of Christ. The mis- coming of Christ is your wedding day. It is the day when you put on your wedding gown clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It is the day where you have the crown that, that seals you as the Son of God. It is the day where you inherit the inheritance of Christ. It is the day when Christ commands every single being in the universe to, to declare praises to you. And if you don't believe me, just check Colossians chapter 3 verses 4. Are you thankful and watchful for that wedding day? Are you excited like a bride that is preparing for her wedding day? It is because of these three foundational things, the two things that you're thankful for and one thing that you're watchful for, those three foundational things is the bedrock of this commandment to pray and live for the Great Commission. Without these things, every single sacrifice will seem burdensome, will seem like a very heavy duty. But with these things, every single thing, sacrifice, will be light and pleasurable. I said $2.7 million for every Japanese baptism. Same statistics, it takes $1.5 million per baptism in the U.S. Do you under, one thing that Paul also reminds us in a very kind of Asian, subtle way is he says this, 
You have the mystery of Christ. You have been changed by the gospel and you are looking for, forward to the, the day. But do you, have you forgotten that the reason why you have this, this, this gospel is because someone prayed for you, lived for you, sacrificed for you tirelessly so that you might believe? Do not forget that. Well, let's just take a moment. To remind ourselves that we, sometimes we think of missions as something out there, something that's not connected to us, something that we have to support kind of out of our, our, out of our compassion and forgiveness. But one thing that we have to be reminded is that we are direct beneficiaries of the Great Commission. How many people did it take? How much effort did it take? How many dollars did it take? How much time did it take for you and me to become a Christian? Uh, This includes uh, those who have been baptized in an infinite as well. Think about your Christian parents. How many hours, time, money it took for for you to become a Christian through them. Your Sunday school teachers who are right now serving your children right now. Your Bible study leader, your co-members, your college ministry friends, the staff, your pastors, your elders, your deacons. And if you've been converted by a missionary, those who have been, who support those missionaries. How many times do you think these people prayed for you tirelessly? How, many ta- how much money do you think that it took? Do we understand that the reason that we are here sitting, worshiping here, is because of those who sacrificed for the Great Commission? And they didn't do this out of duty. They didn't do this like begrudgingly. It's like, oh, I have to take, you know, write a check for this person. You know, you know. They didn't do that. They said this. million for you? Chump change. Why? Because I have the mystery of Christ. I have been changed by this mystery of Christ. And I am looking forward to that day when Christ welcomes me as his bride. Come, join me. Here's my check for $1.5 million for you. Aren't you thankful for their sacrifices? And if you are, let us rejoice to pray and live for kingdom advancement, not just here, but to the ends of the world. But one other thing that we must be reminded of is the second commandment. Now, this is a shorter one. Remember the ongoing labors for kingdom expansion. I must admit that verses 7 to 18 are verses that I kind of usually skim in my devotion. I I don't know who Tychius is. I don't know who Onesimus is. So I just skip, 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 you know? Let's go to the next chapter. But I later realized when I was preaching through this text that this is, an, this is an important part of the letter. Usually we have kind of missions moments in the worship or mission presentations. And many, I, I'm very cheap, so I'm very sensitive to my, 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 my wallet or anybody who takes my money. So I'm like, oh, you're doing a mission presentation to get me my money. But actually Paul is like, this is like no, I'm not here for your money. In verses 8, he says this. This is so that you may know how we are and that I might encourage you. Missionaries are not here for your money. We're here to encourage you. And the reason why we need encouragement is sometimes when we're so fixated on our local ministries, on our personal lives, we sometimes either get discouraged because there's not much fruit. It's too hard. There's so many reasons why you could be discouraged. Another reason why is, uh, another reason why you need encouragement is sometimes we think, well, I got a pretty good church here. I got a pretty good Christian life. Um, I'm good to go, you know. But the missions report, mission presentation reminds you this. Whether you feel it or not, the kingdom of God is advancing. 
And whether you feel it or not, there are other brothers and sisters in the, the spiritual battlefield that need your help. And that's what Paul is doing through these four reports. The first report is Paul talking about his ministry in Rome. And Paul, Paul is saying he, he's in Rome and waiting for his, like literally he's waiting for his execution and he's cha- chained to his house. But as he's under house arrest, he's actually using his own money to, uh, to welcome people into his house and sharing the gospel as well. If I'm waiting, if I'm in Rome, you know, if I'm in LA, if I'm in Tokyo, might as well do, you know, evangelism while I'm in <laughs> waiting for my execution, right? And you, you can see at the at 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 um, at the end of Acts, this powerful testimony. It says here, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. If the Colossian church was tired with ministry, I'm sure that report warmed their heart. The second and third report are talking about missionaries. They're talking about first Jewish missionaries. And we, we learn in verses 11, Jewish missionaries going to Gentiles was a very rare thing because Jewish people were, were always fixated on their people. But it took an extra step, an extra act of courage to go do missions to the Gentiles. And he's saying, it's possible. It's possible to do cross-cultural missions. Support that. Pray for that. And then the third report, he talks about Gentile laborers. And he's saying, this is the dream result of any missionary that that folks, that there's a second generation of missionaries in that local people group. And I like what Paul does. He kind of does like a, back, like a backhanded Asian um, uh, guilt trip, basically, and says that, well, you know Epaphras, your church planner there? Yeah, I sent him. I sent him. He, the reason why you have a church plant in, in Colossae is because he benefited from my ministry in Ephesus and he was gripped by the mystery of Christ and that's why he wanted to do a church plant in Epaphras. And what I want to do in all to the ends of the earth, that's what he's doing in, Coloss- in Colossae. Be encouraged by that. And lastly, he says in the fourth report, don't just be fixated on your local ministry. Be, encourage those and those in the, in the neighboring cities. And what he says in the very end of this section, it says, make sure that they're doing the ministry that God has called them in the Great Commission. What he's saying is this. These four reports tell us that despite the many sufferings, barriers, and problems in the church, the kingdom is advancing. Although Paul may be chained and be waiting for, his ex- waiting for his execution, the word is not chained. Although we might suffer labor and toil, and we might feel like they ha- this has no meaning whatsoever, the Lord guarantees that your sacrifices will not be in vain. The Lord will use the preached word powerfully, effectively, and according to his eternal eternal purposes, despite the broken pots that is Christian, the broken pots that is the Christian church. Even if we don't feel it now, we need to remember that the kingdom is advancing and that you don't have to fear suffering for the great commission because the Lord guarantees for this to happen. But one thing that I have to do every time in a um, Japanese church, especially Asian context, is, is that sometimes we elevate suffering for something kind of like this and put it on a pedestal. 
I, I get it. Like, oh, you, you're a missionary. You, thank you for suffering. It's like, well, I think you've suffered more, suffered with me. You're a co-sufferer with me in the Great Commission. But one thing that we need to remember is that our labors and our suffering, uh, the sufferings of Paul, the apostles, the apostolic church, is not the pinnacle. It's not the peak. It is not the ideal of the, for suffering for the Great Commission. Far from it. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Ironically, he's not talking about glory, but he's talking about how much one suffers for the missions. He says this. He encourages us. If the master labors and suffers and is persecuted for the Great Commission, the servant will, will, is, is the same thing. But here's the encouragement. The suffering of Christ's servant will never be greater than their master, Jesus Christ. Who do you think, for the advancement of the kingdom, continually, steadfastly, in thanksgiving, and in constant watchfulness, prayed and lived for the Great Commission the most? Who lived for the Great Commission the most? Is it me? Is it Paul? Is it your pastor, your elders? Who is the one who stands at the top as the one who conquered this Mount Everest-like peak of the Great Commission? Only Jesus. You know that. Jesus, from the foundations of the world, to this very day and to the eternal future, has, will, continually and steadfastly pray for you. And he does it in deep suffering. He suffers, he's suffering to the point of sweating drops of blood, suffering to the point of being disintegrated by the wrath of God. Even if we betrayed him, even if we lied to him, even if we cheated on him, even if we spit on him, even if we pretend to be a Christian uh, in front of him, he still prays for us. It is only Jesus who li- lived a perfect life for the Great Commission. And not only did he embody the gospel that he preached, he actually earned and attained the benefits of the gospel on our behalf with his blood, sweat, and tears. No missionary can do that. No pastor can do that. The cross was that peak, the summit, the zenith of this mountain that Jesus had to climb in order to get you into heaven. And from the world's perspective, Jesus' mission was a complete failure as he hung as a dead body on a on a cross, on a, on a plank of wood. But we know the Lord guaranteed that his sacrifices would be used powerfully. That he was resurrected and he, and he ascended into the heaven and he poured down the Holy Spirit to all of us so that the church would expand to the ends of the earth. The reason why Christ Central is here today is because of our ultimate missionary, Jesus Christ, who saved, sustained, and expanded the church for the past 2,000 years. Praise God and hallelujah. The Great Commission does not rest on our works. However, the Lord of the harvest and our master Jesus Christ and our older brother in the faith, Paul, doesn't want us to merely feast upon this wonderful gospel and then go home and take an afternoon nap. That is why Paul said at the very end of Colossians, remember my chains. Remember that I gave my life and suffered with joy in order to give you the gospel. 
Therefore, may you labor, pray, and live for the kingdom of advancement with joy. Why? Because these chains never stopped the kingdom from advancing. And Jesus can say the same thing, can't he? Remember the cross. Remember the nails that held my body on this plank of wood. Remember that in order for you to enjoy this eternal life, I bore the cross on your behalf. Therefore, in order, and in order to give you the gospel, I poured out my Holy Spirit to the entire church. Therefore, for the servant, the servant is never greater than the master. With joy, labor, toil, and give to the Great Commission. And don't worry. Do it with joy. Why? Because these nails, this cross, never stopped the kingdom from advancing. Let us be thankful. Thankful for the Lord's salvation. Let us be watchful of Christ's coming. Because, and let us pray and live for the Great Commission because the Great Commission will stand victorious because of the perfect work of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for Christ's central sacrifice for the, for the Great Commission. We thank you, Lord, that they do it with joy and not begrudgingly. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless their labors as they have already been blessed by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.